Hello, Make That Paper listeners. Thanks for joining us. Before we start the episode, we wanted to let you know about our brand new true crime podcast, The Girl with the Same Name, The Cold Case of Jamie Stickle, hosted by me, Jamie Stickle. In 2002, a young woman in Pittsburgh by the name of Jamie Stickle was violently killed, and though the circumstances seemed to suggest she was murdered, the cause of her death was never officially determined, and her case was never solved. For years, I have been confronted with the death of this woman I never knew, on job interviews, at business meetings, on dates. People would look me up on the internet and then ask me what I knew about the apparent murder of this person who shares my name. And I had no answers. So now we are going to try to find some. Investigations have already begun. The first episodes will launch in late fall 2023. But we need your help. Please support this investigative podcast by going to kickstarter.com and search for The Girl with the Same Name. Your contribution will help us travel to Pittsburgh to investigate this story more deeply and to produce the highest quality podcast. You can also get exclusive merchandise and content by backing this project. So please visit Kickstarter today and help us seek justice for Jamie. Thanks, everyone. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to Make That Paper, the show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams. And to fight the forces of bigotry, hatred, and evil when they come to our door. Today we're going to visit the rental house of horrors, get locked up in the projectionist prison, and ride shotgun with the auto trader hater. We are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And Jason Bieber. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest, an incredible talent, and our very first director of photography on the show. Yeah, he's shot over 40 projects, including film, television, and award-winning shorts and music videos. Yeah, and while we wish the folks over at the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers would cut a fair deal with the writers and the strike could end, the silver lining is that a guy who would otherwise be super busy is available to talk to us today. So. Please help us welcome to this very special episode of Make That Paper, Summer of Strike, Ooh. the exceptional Mike Moganam. Hi, Mike. It's so nice to meet you. I've heard so much about you. Nice to meet you, too. Uh-oh. There she is. Hey, Morgan. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Morgan, Mike. Mike Morgan. Nice Hi. to meet you. We literally just met. Mike, Jason, <laughs> Jason, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan's our super talented intern. She is a rising senior at Montclair State University in New Jersey. She is a director, a horror writer, and an editor. And she is the latest and newest and uh, editor of the Make That Paper podcast. I'm sorry, I'm super psyched. We're going to jump into the middle here for a minute, Mike, because I'm sure. obsessed. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with the fact that you were a photographer for Auto Trader. And we have that huge true <laughs> yeah. crime Netflix series, um, Making a Murderer, with Stephen Avery, who hired an auto trader photographer to come take a picture of a truck and then burned her alive in a fire pit. Allegedly. So, mm. allegedly. And went to jail for it and then was released from jail. Let me talk about this for a second. This was in Atlanta, though? Not Milwaukee. Not, yeah. Not, okay. Yeah, um, in, in Georgia, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever feel at any point in time that you could be the subject of a Netflix making of a murderer story <laughs> when you were doing this job? Uh, it was before Netflix, so definitely not. <laughs> it was a long, it was a long time ago. It was uh, almost twenty years ago. So, but you took Amanda went there to find you on this job once, or she was doing this job. Your wife yeah, and I was so, like, 
And it was before we got married. Yeah. So, um, and this was, this is a while ago. So we used to take them with Polaroids and I'd have to print out the directions off of MapQuest and drive around. And, you know, it was pretty boring stuck in the car. So she came with me and uh, yeah, (laughs) we still talk about it. The first place we stopped at this old guy, uh, older than dirt was trying to sell his car and he had his little dog and he said, okay, Pickles, you stay there. And the dog looked like he was older than him. And it was barely moving. It's like, that dog's not going anywhere. But yeah. anyways, that was our day we spent together, auto trading, auto tradering it up. <laughs> Ugh, what a date. <laughs> yeah, did, exactly. Did, did you have to bring your own camera? No, they gave me a Polaroid. Oh, okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. But did they know, were you like, when you applied for that job, were you like, well, I'm a DP? I'm a director of photography, so this is like a no-brainer. <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's your resume? It was pretty much like, do you have a driver's license? You're hired. So okay. it was, That's amazing. you know, talking about uh, crummy jobs, but anyways. All, all your other skills were just bonus. There you go. I, I could drive. So mm-hmm. anything on top of that was a bonus. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little obsessed with this though. Can we break this down for a second? Cause like, sure. I, I'm curious, did they pay you gas and mileage? No, no. Okay. That, that's why I didn't do it for very long either. So you got paid with how many people you went out to go take pictures of. So, um, so you would try to fit as many as you could and you would try to arrange it in a way that like would limit you know gas you wouldn't want to backtrack um, yeah but yeah okay so this is interesting and were you working as a dp at the time or was this prior to you i mean knowing? Try, no i knew i mean trying to it's uh yeah. you know like to be a dp i mean it takes a, a lot of time and experience to build yeah. up network and stuff so um totally. pretty much when i was in uh high school i knew that's what i wanted to do really and then work towards it yeah can we rewind then? Can we can we go to high school for a second? And and I'd like sure. I mean, I'm remembering my high school, and I, I guess I I kind of knew I wanted to be an actor. Kind of. Yeah, of course. Sort of, you did. I was pursuing it. Yeah. But um, like, did you like how much did you know about filmmaking in high school? And were you, that you knew like this is not? I don't just want to make movies. I want to do this part of it. Right. Uh, sure. Well, I could tell you my my whole origin story. So um, Ooh, okay. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a skateboarder and skipped a lot of class skateboarding yeah. and just hung out with the, you know, the, the you know, all the other skaters. And uh, anyways, I got a, a video camera and started making skate videos with my friends. And, okay. Um, I always liked photography and movies and TV and art. And that's really the only classes I propelled at in any school was art. And I had a um, teacher that really uh, took me under his wings and, and like pretty much said he'd give me an A if I like came up with my own course. And so I learned the technical stuff for video. And, you know, um, at first I thought I wanted to do news. Um, mm. But then I, you know, uh, I learned what a cinematographer was and and I kind of fell in love with that. And this is all in high school, you know, just like, trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life because you know i i knew pretty sure i wasn't going to be a doctor lawyer and engineer so (laughs) um yeah so that's where it started and then the more i learned about cinematography you know the more i knew that was like my calling 
Uh, I went to college, uh, but then I also got a job at a rental house. So okay. they're rental houses, right? Um, not sure how familiar everybody is, but you know, movie equipment's really expensive. So yeah. most most of it people don't own, and there are companies that rent it, right? And, right. And back then in Georgia, there wasn't a whole lot of work, so there was um, two rental houses that I pestered, and I finally got a job at one of them, and uh, realized pretty quick that that was the way to do what I wanted to do. So I dropped out of college and just started doing that full time. Oh wow. So when you're there, I mean, is that like, I, I've known people who, in fact, we interviewed uh, Dave Rosowski worked at a rental house and, um, you know, common theme amongst people who've worked at those places is like using the equipment. Uh, is that, oh, yeah. Kind of, yeah, you were, you were like practicing, learning, maybe going out and shooting some things. Yeah. So that was definitely part of it too, is, um, so my job was to clean the sound stages. So it was a pretty like all-encompassing rental house. They didn't just have cameras. They had lights, cameras, sound stages. So my entry-level position was to clean the toilets and clean the sound stages. And on my lunch breaks, I would go in and do the busy work for the camera department, like cleaning cases, uh -huh. the stuff they didn't want to do. So then they would start teaching me, you know, oh, this is how you load a film magazine. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And then, um, you know, I started um, shooting little things, um, and uh, yeah, I would get a discount. The, the first real thing that I shot, I made a friend in college that wanted to be a writer, a screenwriter, and he had um, an uncle or somebody passed away and left him a little bit of money. So he, we decided to shoot a, a trailer for his script. So that was like my first thing that I shot. Um, so I got to borrow, well, not borrow, I mean, still had to pay for it, but it was really cheap. Little grip truck, a film camera, and we shot it over a weekend. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Where and then it started. This? That this was is this in Georgia. In Georgia, okay. But this yeah. was before. This is in Georgia. Like, but this is before Walking Dead and. Oh yeah, so yeah. So this was 1998. Okay, so that's before Georgia blew up. I'm dating up, myself a little bit. That's okay. I I still find that to be um, very young. Um, speaking vibrant. for myself. Um, but <laughs> you, this was a time before actors started living bi-coastally between LA and Atlanta. This is a time when, yeah. before Atlanta had all the big studios and people were leaving like the flock of seagulls into yeah. Georgia. So that's amazing. Yeah. So, and that was, that was part of the issue with getting started is there just wasn't that much work. Um, and even the rental house I worked at, uh, I won't name the company but um they were always almost going out of business like it was that mm. slow in georgia wow. so do you, do you know is that is that rental house still still in business they are yes okay. oh um and now they're, they're like gazillionaires oh yeah now they're super busy so but yeah. it used to be i mean back then like i remember there would be like one independent movie would shoot a year like i mean it was nearly impossible to get on stuff it was mainly commercials and music videos yeah. Um, yeah. And that's how I got my start, like, uh, shooting was music videos. So when I worked at the rental house, that's the other thing, too, is you meet people. Yeah. And then you offer your services for free. Hey, I'll come schlep stuff for you. And and I started working as a second AC, as a loader, and also uh, as a grip. Second assistant camera for those who... Second uh, assistant camera, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, no, that's okay. Back in the film days, you know, there was somebody that loaded and unloaded the film. 
Um, and, and then it was um, a big job. That was a big job. Yeah, it was. The funny thing, that's the entry-level position, but you're the one that's handling the film. That That's what was fun about camera department, um, especially being a second assistant camera person. Um, you know, you just had to anticipate, act like a ninja, trying to, like, be all stealth. And mm-hmm. uh, But then I was also a grip, too. I had a really good friend who was a grip. Um, so I got onto stuff, and, and that taught me a lot about lighting and grip. And, you know, just pretty much I said yes to everything. I was a PA while I worked at the rental house. And then also, you know, just actively trying to shoot, build the real, you know, build experience. That was Mm -hmm. something I had a mentor uh, who was an established cinematographer and, you know, helped me out. And, you know, he just said that it's like, if you want to be a DP, shoot, you know, if you, whatever you want to do, you got to pursue it. And um, that really stuck with me. And so, yeah, so the time that I worked at the rental house, um, I worked on as many things as I could. And, got as many favors as I could to shoot as much stuff. And that first thing, that trailer uh, was a reel for me. So that started, you know, I had actually something shot on 35 millimeter, something that looked halfway decent, you know, and um, because that was before digital. So, you know, like (laughs) it was a lot harder. I remember I, I was so poor and this was even before DVDs, I made VHS copies of my reel. And I remember it like I maxed out my bank account to make like, I don't know, 50 nice copies. Like, you know, it was just this one trailer too, just to give out to people. But yeah, I mean, you know, you guys are in the film industry, you know, it's more of a, it's more of a trade, right? It's a craft, like going to school, you can only do so much. It's really, you just have to get out there and do it and learn from others. And, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they say. So, um, but yeah, and so that why do they say that? Who skins cats and why do they skin them cats? more than one way? Mm-mm. I agree. Like what I need to look it up. Like that's <laughs> disgusting. And I know people say it all the time. And also are stones in such short supply that we actually have to kill two birds with one of them? I don't know. That's no. true too. Um, but I will say I in college did do um, you know, uh Film, TV, radio, all of that. And I hated DPing. I hated being on the crew. I (laughs) suffered directing and telling people what to do. But I much preferred producing and writing and directing actors. So it's interesting because I really detested the crew. (laughs) (laughs) I was so sick of carrying beta cams around. Yeah, kids, beta cams are like 50 pound cameras that we would have to check out. And that's what we carried around campus and shot with. Yeah. And it sucked, man. Yeah. It sucked. It <laughs> that was, was, that's like the portable my, equipment. That was the yeah. portable equipment. And my back hurt all the time. And setting it up took an hour. And I just wanted to get to the shooting part. So it's so interesting to me when we have people on the show who that's the part they love. Like they love I the DP. That's the opposite. Like, um, I've directed a couple of things. I don't care for it. I've had a lot of people that I, you know, know and trust, like, why don't you direct? Like, I don't want to direct. I like being a cinematographer. I like, you know, I like collaborating with others. I like the visuals. Um, I'm not a big fan of working directly with actors. And I also like just being done. Not taken. You know, (laughs) I like being done and going home. You know, like yeah. if I direct, I have to see it from the beginning all the way to the end. Yeah. If I'm the cinematographer, you know, uh, I get to, 
see a lot more things, work on a lot more variety stuff. Um, so yeah, but you know, different things for different people. I'm a very visual person, obviously. The visual arts, like I still photography and drawing and painting I've done my whole life. So it's cool. just like a natural, natural transition. Yeah, yeah. 100%, 100%. Also a really bad movie can still look beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is true. I try to try to keep that in mind personally. It's, um, you know, the cinematography is, is, you know, it's kind of the cherry on top. Like if you don't yeah. have good, a good story and good actors, but anyways. Um, so do you, when you, when you look at a project then, when, the, when a project comes to you, do you, do you read the script? Do you care? Is it, is it important oh, yeah. to the quality? Okay. Yeah. It doesn't, I, doesn't just matter what your, what your part of it is. You are as interested in the holistic outcome as every other person who's looking at this thing. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, obviously it changed over time. Like when I was first starting out, you know, yeah. I didn't have any, you know, shoot everything. Yeah. Uh, only thing I didn't shoot was porn, but uh, you know, but yeah, definitely I'm a lot more picky. <laughs> right. Um, hey, if it was about money, I'm sure all of us would be doing much easier things that we could make a lot more money. You know, hundred percent. So. I had some students. That's your your podcast to keep exactly. making money, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I had students ask me about porn, and I was like, "Listen, you know, you can make a lot of money really fast, but just you know, prepare yourself for what you're getting into when you go on a studio set." Morgan, Jamie, that was me. No, <laughs> we talked about that in class. <laughs> was it you, Morgan? You wanted That's to like cool. know about porn. Yeah, because so, it's like <laughs> porn directors make a lot more money a lot they of They the make so much money and distribute a lot of money. I mean, just being an assistant, I was making 50 bucks an hour to do like nonsensical work. He was paying me 50 bucks an hour and like I, letting me drive his BMW around. And I was like, this is the best job ever. I think in porn, it's a lot easier to negotiate a percentage of the gross. Oh, maybe. That's, Depending on your position. There's very, there's there's very of, <laughs> depending on your position in porn right yeah. um <laughs> a lot fewer fingers in the pie <laughs> wow this is morgan i hope your mom's not at home um just <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to mike's bite where you did not work in porn but you did work at this rental house and i know you've got some oh. I, I mean i i i I know your your Talk boss. About the was... fact that he finally got on a set on a gig, and the rental house was like basically like yeah. sort of um what's the word I'm looking for? Shitty about it. Yeah, a dick about yeah. it. They were dicks. They were they what were happened? real dicks about it. So um, most rental houses know that people get jobs there so they can learn and they can go off. Yeah. This particular one didn't want that. They wanted people to be there the rest of their lives and. Um, my boss classes? in particular, what's that? And teach classes to like new employees, I, like it's no, just like are. just to, yeah, like schlepping stuff yeah. around. But Four my boss wanted he, my boss wanted to be promoted, and in order for him to be promoted, he needs somebody to take his job. So he wanted me to do that, and I didn't want to do that, and I was pretty upfront with him about it. So you know, we we butted heads, and he was looking for any reason to get rid of me, and. Um, so yeah, I got this offer to uh, work as a gaffer, which for uh, people who don't know, the lighting uh, person on a on a short film that was going to shoot over the week uh, at nights. So I think it was like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., something like that. 
um, in downtown Atlanta. And this rental house was a similar location. And uh, my boss wouldn't give me time off, um, even though I wasn't salary. And um, I ended up finding two other guys at the rental house to help me out. And um, my boss on said, the if film. one on, on the short film. And yeah. they also worked at the rental house, too. You know, we're young and stupid and like, yeah, we don't need sleep. So um, I was I still saying that at 35. I was saying yeah. that before I had my kid. I was like, I worked at my office job during the day, take naps at lunch and then go shoot overnight. I am not a good person anymore. Like my body is like, <laughs> I hate you. My brain is like, mm, I don't remember that. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. In 98, yeah, you had you plenty do. of no-dos and Mountain Dew to get you yeah. through. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So anyways, we, you know, uh, my boss said if I was one minute late, he'd fire me. So oh my god, what a dick. I wasn't late, but the other two guys ended up dropping out on like on Wednesday or you know two or three days into it. Dropping out of the film. Oh, both. Like oh, they, they didn't quit their work, jobs. They they didn't dropped... come... Well, they didn't. Oh, they weren't yeah. threatened with being fired. So Got it. They right, so they just, just like no called, no showed for like a couple of days, and you know so it's like a you've warehouse. You got to cover them twenty four hours a day for. Th- for, you a, got it. for a week <laughs> you got it oh, and then oh by God. friday i was so exhausted i don't even remember half of it because you know you're just like um but by friday i was so tired i just slept in the back of the grip truck because they were i don't know shooting something and it was december in atlanta where it was cold and we were shooting in this part of town called cabbage town which is really not great and mm-hmm. homeless people kept coming into the grip truck and trying to steal stuff and waking me up oh, and i'd oh, yell at them shit. and <laughs> It was a, it was a fun experience. So sounds like it, <laughs> right? How was the movie? Oh my god! Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> so you all right? So you you did this shoot? Were you using equipment from from the rental house or somewhere else? Yep, yep, okay. from the rental house. Yep. So he, your boss doesn't even care that you are using your body to protect his equipment from from people. Tra- okay, that's a matter. You're still- nope, nope, that didn't care. But that's all right. I ended up uh, leaving that job. Uh, not too long after anyways, but. And yeah. to go where? Where did you go from there? So again, it was really slow in Georgia at that time. So yeah. it was hard for me to make, um, you know, um, regular work on set. So I got a job as a projectionist, um, which was flexible and super easy. Um, again, not porn or this was porn? Not porn. Not I, porn. I was just, okay. It's a regular movie theater. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was, um, uh, that was something else too. You get a little crazy in, in this dark, they called it a booth for super long and nobody would talk to you. And then the sounds of the projectors, you get a little, get a little trollish doing that for too long. So. Okay. So this, this is again, this is like around 2000. This is before digital projection. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So you're this still this going... was 2000. It was, I think I got that job in 99 actually. Uh, you... Yeah. You're still going reel to reel. Yep. Well, what they did, um, so it they didn't do individual reels that you had to switch at this point. Okay. So the reels would come and then you would assemble them on to what's called the they would call it a platter, and the whole movie would be laying on its side, and you would thread it from the inside, and then it would put it onto another platter. So it was still filmed, but you only had to thread it and start it once. So it was a little simpler than like what you see in movies, how they go reel to reel. They haven't done that since I think the 80s, but that's okay. how it used to be. But that yeah. you would have to sit next to the projector 
<clears throat> so back then when you had to do it that way, movie theaters could only be like two or three screens, right? Because mm -hmm. um, so when they came up with this new system, like the theater I worked at was a 24 screen and oh, I could wow. run the whole thing myself. Wow. Yeah. But um, so anyways, but that was, you know, it was an interesting job. I wanted to learn how the other half of the movies, you know, when it comes to the, to the big screen. And uh, I even made some prints of some stuff I shot just to see what it looked like. And mm. um, the fun part is as a projectionist, all the movies would come in on Thursday and Thursday night, you had to sit and watch all of them to make sure that they were all assembled correctly. So I got to see every movie before anybody else by myself. So like even the manager wasn't even allowed. So I'd crank the sound up super high and have the whole theater to myself. And for the longest time, I couldn't see a movie like that wasn't completely empty. I was like, what are all these people doing here? I was too spoiled. They're invading, they're invading your experience. Yeah, That's right. So, funny. So, so that was kind of fun. Fun. So free popcorn you could eat. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm here for that. It's, um, uh, so it's a real Brewster's Millions yeah. hole you fall into. <laughs> at what point did you decide that if you really wanted to make a go at it, a living at being a DP, being on set, you would have to go to LA? At what point did you pull that trigger? And what was the thing that, that did that for you? Sure, sure. So uh, I pretty much always wanted to move to LA but you know I my family didn't have a lot of money I didn't have a lot of money um and I was trying to make a go at it in Georgia and um I left the the projectionist job and then just got a job at Starbucks and at that point I was like laser focused on saving up you got a job at Starbucks too I mean anything you can do is the you know again the side hustle and mm -hmm. you know Georgia back then I mean it was very slow there was not much work the work that there was, you know, it was like, you make a hundred bucks a day, you know, I mean, it was, and especially trying to be a cinematographer, like I shot so many things for free. Yeah. Um, you know, music videos, I shot a lot of rap videos. I shot a lot of metal videos for zero money or for a hundred bucks and you'd work 30 hours straight. And, yeah. I did know, that when um, I got out here for non-union, most music videos are non-union. I don't know if that's yeah. changed, but when I was out here, I was like, um, my agent got me so many like featured background and rap video gigs for, and I was like, this is terrible. Like, yeah. I mean, you had to bring three wardrobe out, uh, three wardrobe changes, always a bikini, always <laughs> a party, mini party dress, and then, you know, casual wear. And it, I mean, they kept you there the entire day. And then, yeah, they paid you cash, like 120 bucks or something at the end of it. And it was, terrible yeah it was terrible um so yeah anyways um my goal working at starbucks was make a little bit more money and just work there and save up and and move to california yeah. and uh, i quit quit starbucks and then i went to a friend's birthday party and i met my future wife and uh we had hung out every day and at that point you know i didn't have a job i just had savings and i blew all my savings on on uh taking her out so then oh I was my broke God, again. that's so cute. <laughs> so that put things on hold, but um, I asked her to move to California with me before I asked her to marry her. And um, yeah, then we moved in together and just, we both just worked our butts off saving. I worked as a grip. Um, I was a union grip for a while and worked on a bunch of movies and stuff. And she worked at a, uh, at a bar downtown and 
we saved up as much cash as we could and loaded up a U-Haul and didn't look back. Yeah, and that's, that's it. amazing. Yeah. So you did get union status as a grip in Atlanta. Yes, in Atlanta. And then I ended up becoming, uh, joining the union in LA. Uh, been in the union now, I think eight years. It's a different union for, yeah. well, different local for camera as grip. Yeah. But um, yeah. So yeah. And then when, when we moved out to California, that's when I said, you know, I'm just going to make a go at just being a cinematographer. So I had a little bit of connections. Um, You know, my reel was decent um, and uh, thankfully was able to make it work. You know, there was definitely some slow times and some slow years, but you know, I've just been a DP since I've been out here. Which is great because you're still part of the generation that we're a part of where when you got out here, if you weren't doing the job in the industry that you intended to do, you became the title of the job you were side hustling with became who you were. Like if you did makeup on a gig, like I would, I did makeup on some films because, you know, I had learned to do makeup in theater school. And when I worked in the news, because I was on the street reporting and they did not, have a makeup artist so they would teach you how to do makeup for when you're on on the street and so I knew how to do it I had access to um the I had access to makeup so anyways my point is once I got on one set and and the writer was there and the director asked me some a question and I was like "Well, well no I'm a writer and an actor and he was like then why are you doing makeup like as though yeah, I mean, it's, it was so, it's the makeup artist who wants to be yeah. a writer. No, I'm the writer who's side hustling as a makeup artist right now because that's what I get, I'm getting paid to do on this set. You're part of that generation. If you didn't come out here and, and just do DP, all of a sudden you're the gaffer that wants to be a DP. Exactly. And mm-hmm. and it's it's so nonsensical, but that's true. So I mean, it was like that in, it was like that in Georgia too. I mean, you know, it's like if, I showed up and did, I was a second AC or whatever. Oh no, you're a second AC. You're not a DP. Okay. Yeah. Or even I was a DP and I shot something super low budget. Oh, you're the guy who'll do it for free, you know? And it, right. it was, so that was definitely part of it too, is like, okay, when I go out to California, I'm just a DP, you know, I might do stuff for cheap or for free, but I'm still just a DP. And it's, exactly. it, it is, I mean, yeah, and once those people have it in your mind, their mind, doesn't matter. 10, 20 years go by, they still look at you that way. Yeah, 100%. The only time they don't is if you take jobs as like a writer's assistant or um, a PA. The two jobs that pay nothing that you can't afford your rent with, they'll accept that you are learning to become the DP or you are learning to become the director. But if you take a job that will actually pay you enough, then you're that person. And that's it. Nobody else. There's also jobs outside the industry uh, yeah. where we like we always assume that that is not their job. Like anyone who's working in food service, anyone who's working as a messenger, um, po- uh, uh, Uber drivers, postman. I mean, all yeah. these side hustles we talk to people about all the time. Yeah. We're like, okay, but what are you trying to do? What are you really? What's your real yeah. gig? And that was the thing, at least for me, is like I had all these other side hustles in Georgia, right? Like. I, and it was always, it would always hold you back, right? You don't want to lose your job at Starbucks or your job at the movie theater or your job at Auto Trader because you get a last minute call to do something. Right. So, you know, that, 
that was the other thing too. It was like, okay, I'm going to try to really make a go at this. And um, a couple of things just lined up that I got lucky. Um, so again, like music videos, there was a producer I shot music videos for in Atlanta. You know, I, I don't know. I get like three, $400 a day from him. And literally I was in LA for three days. He called me up and said, Hey, are you available? I said, I am, but now I'm in LA. He said, Oh, you are? Oh, I can get you uh, 1500 then. I was like, what? what? Why have you not been paying me that? He's like, well, now you're an LA DP. Like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> so Morgan, I hope you're paying attention up, to this. And then he was able Jesus. to pay for my flight and pay. I was like, what is happening? So a couple of things like that. And this again was years ago, you know, uh, and we were really poor. So a couple of things like that started working out that, you know, but yeah, it's um, kind of funny. <laughs> I feel like there's you know, some good career actually, hacks here. Like, yeah, what's that? That actually happened to me too. It, it is a career hack because I was working for the auto show, so I had all these Detroit contacts. I'm from Detroit, but I had all these Detroit contra, uh, contacts, like um, actor friends who were writing their own stuff and doing producing it. Um, some of them had moved to Chicago, but very few had moved to LA. Like they were regional actors, like they were Midwesterners. And I had a guy email me and say, you know, could I audition, play this role, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, sure, where are you shooting it? And he was shooting it in Chicago. And I said, well, I live in Los Angeles now, so I'm so sorry. And he goes, oh, that's amazing. I will fly you to Chicago. I will rent you a place to stay. Mm -hmm. You know, like all of a sudden I was treated like royalty because I had broken out like I had done it I had made that transition I feel like for actors there were there was a minute where that was where that was a thing and and now that then they discovered the the, the local hire you know oh, the, right. the yeah, idea like, like that anymore yeah, we're, we're only looking for local hires but we only want local hires who live in Los Angeles right. <laughs> <laughs> they'll put a breakdown out in Los Angeles for something that's shooting anywhere else in the world and they say local hires only. And, and by submitting on that job, that means you're agreeing to pay for your own airfare, hotel, and to get yourself to and from the set every Oh, day. Yeah. yeah. So so in the middle of COVID, our agent or manager wrote me and said, um, your, your mother-in-law lives in, in New York, right? You have, your in-laws live in New York. And I was like, yeah, Jason's family. And they said, well, we have a role for you that's a local hire. You have to put down that you're a local hire anywhere now. All of the agents and managers force you to put down your local hire. And you're like, but I'm not. I don't know anyone in Florida. I'd have to pay. And they only pay you day rate base, which is like 500 bucks a day. So this one was two hours outside of the city of Manhattan. So I would have to like drive rent a car because nobody in the city has a car in, in my family so I'd have to rent a car drive two hours outside the city to shoot all day and then drive two hours back find parking to get up in four hours turn around and do it again for five hundred dollars a day wow it was like, yeah I mean it's definitely even on my end I mean things have changed like you know that producer like he wouldn't be able to do stuff like that now you know yeah. with yeah. low budget music videos or even I mean they weren't all low budget they actually they were all uh major labels yeah. um but yeah i mean stuff like that has definitely changed unless you're like a-list talent or you know i mean yeah. i have a handful of of bigger clients that can do that but i mean it's definitely 
things have changed. So yeah. um, I don't know, for better or worse, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we see 100%. all kinds of expansions and retractions in the business in terms of like as budgets grow, as cost, you know, there was a while where the streamers were, you know, throwing all the money in the world at projects and suddenly like you could you could get away with a lot and they would and and now there's a big retraction there as well. Um, but speaking of streamers, and this was my ham-handed segue into uh, talking to you about what's going on now. Not that yeah. we're done talking about what you've done leading up to now, but I really want to do, I do want to talk to you about what's going on right now, because we are in the middle of this writer's strike, and we are on the precipice of an actor's strike, and um, and we're, you know, you know, it, production halted for a long time during COVID. Now production's halted again. And so we want to talk to you about, you know, how is that impacting you and what are you doing with this have time? You, basically, he's saying, have you thought about going back to Starbucks? Because once <laughs> it's open, it's, as I know, once it's open, it's always open. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you open uh, your own rental house. <laughs> No, no. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, I, I haven't haven't had to do that uh, financially. We're we're because he has all a right, sugar mama. There you go. I have a sugar mama. It's a sugar um, mama who's a big time, high powered lawyer. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> I would. She what is a, a smart lawyer. We're, we're, <laughs> gonna let, we're gonna let Jamie go there. Yeah, I'm allowed to. She's my friend. <laughs> but please, she is, so, a, she is a badass. Yeah. So, how is this impacting you? Like in terms of well, one, you're, are you are you working or are you not working? Yeah. It it is uh, dramatically slowed down. Um, uh, I'm not working, and pretty much everyone I know is not working. And a lot of my crew hits me up all the time looking for work. Uh, a lot of people are on unemployment, which only lasts so long. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and you know, I I am in the union. Most of my work is non-union, um, but even that is slowed down a lot because it just kind of all trickles down. And, you know, it's not just the writer's strike. There's also, you know, um, inflation and, and streamers are cutting back. And um, honestly, I do a lot of commercials. I was supposed to have a couple of bank commercials for regional banks. I don't know if yeah. you've heard the banks aren't doing so hot. So they cut their budgets on those yeah. that were supposed yeah. to be good jobs. And um, I have some work coming up later in the year. Um, so typically for me, like, again, um, I shoot shorter form stuff like commercials concerts stuff like that try not to do tv because i want to uh, see my kids <clears throat> that being said um i'll have a handful of bigger projects that take months and then i fill it in with a lot of smaller projects that you know fill in those gaps a lot of those smaller projects just went away so i've yeah. got work in august and december <laughs> so you know planning for that um yeah but yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, you know, my wife is an attorney. She's got a regular, normal, grown-up job, mm-hmm. and we've structured our uh, our lives so that, you know, I mean, there's nothing set in stone with being freelance. So, yeah, for any reason, it all can come to an end. So, you know, we do that with our bills. Like worst case scenario, you know, her salary covers everything, and then my pay goes towards you know, investing in equipment or investing in, you know, other things like, um, so that's, yeah. So now we're not investing, we'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So question, do you work as your own 
um, rental person. Because I know that that is a thing that DPs do and some yeah. others where they own equipment and they rent it out to productions. Yes. So that's, that's an interesting point too. So um, when I started, uh, the guy who mentored me owned a whole lot of equipment and uh, he was a cinematographer mm -hmm. and he said to me, don't buy equipment. You want people to hire you for you, not for what you can, what you own. And also I was super poor, so I couldn't buy anything anyways. So yeah. for a long time, I didn't own anything. I owned light meters and some filters and then, um, you know, it definitely made things more difficult to get on projects, to find smaller projects. And then I ended up shooting a film for a friend, a feature, where I got, I, I pulled favors and borrowed a camera for free. And, and at this point, my, my career was starting to pick up and was starting to make a little bit more money. And I decided, you know what, I need to invest in a camera so I can do more projects like this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it worked out. So... So I did end up going down the, the terrible road of owning equipment. So I do own equipment now. <laughs> so that, that definitely helps. Like, you know, if I get a shoot, you know, most of the time they rent my camera package. Um, when things are slow, you know, sometimes I, I rent my stuff out, um, you know, so that helps as well, supplementing. That's a, yeah, that's amazing. That's side hustling within your career. Yeah, yeah. I love that is career adjacent. Is that and, something? I mean, that's that's what most that's what most most crew members do i mean that's yeah. like unless you're at the top 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 level like the only way to make a decent living is to you know supplement it with equipment like my first ac or first camera assistant you know has his own wireless focus and his own monitor and own you know that you know you can almost double your rate by bringing that stuff on production was going to pay for it anyways you know or my gaffer the lighting guy you know, owns his own lights, you know, that, so it definitely supplements that stuff. And then it gives you the ability, you know, I love shooting commercials. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't get into this shoot commercials. I, my first love is movies and, you know, telling stories and, and I love doing shorts. So the fact that I own all this equipment and my crew owns all this equipment, if I get an opportunity, something I want to do, you know, you can go and do it and you don't have to worry about, oh, their budget is tight. They don't, you know, they can't afford the equipment. So, so it gives it some flexibility there. I have an economics question for you. Um, just because I haven't really bored our listeners enough today. Uh, I'm, I'm envisioning like the, the, the business of the equipment. You invest in something, let's say it's a $10,000 camera and that you know, $30,000 camera. $50,000 camera. You've got a $65,000 camera and it's good, and it's the latest and greatest and it will be for about two years before the next latest and greatest comes out. So you've got to make up that $65,000 and profit off it for two years. When you get hit with a slowdown like the one we're in now, that not only stops you from you know renting yourself out from just working, it also impedes your, you know, the, the return on your investment, or are you finding ways to rent out your equipment even during the slowdown? So, and, and that's, everybody's a little different. So for me personally, I don't like to rent my equipment out when I'm not on a job uh -huh. with the exception of like somebody I know really well, or, you know, I want to help somebody out. <clears throat> there are some people that, um, they, 
are always renting their equipment out. The problem with that is, you know, nobody gets a rental car and takes care of it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if you rent your equipment out and you're not on it and you don't know and trust those people, all this stuff is delicate, you know, all this stuff, you know, can easily be damaged and can be damaged in a way where you wouldn't see it right away. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I do maybe lose out on some money by not doing that. Um, mm -hmm. And then I also, since it's stuff that I use on my projects, I can tailor and I get the stuff that I like that I know that I can use a lot. Yeah. So it does make things a little bit easier investment wise. And then there's some people though that, you know, they just buy everything they can in the hopes to rent it out. And honestly, they lose their butt on it a lot of times, you know? Um, but yeah, like the slowdown, for example, I was gonna uh, invest in a new camera that was six figures and I put that on hold, you know? Yeah. It's doesn't seem like the right time to do it right now. If work is this slow. Um, yeah. Did you say six figures for a camera? Yeah. Is that a red? That's just a camera. No, it's an Aerie. I, I, I own it for a camera and that's just the camera that's not yeah. lenses tripod batteries media yeah oh. the, the, uh, if you knew how much I had invested in equipment as it is um and and that's the thing with the equipment it's always funny people um not always but you know smaller things they just assume it's like do you realize how much like this one little thing is and it's just yeah. stupid it's just like yeah. like i'll always talk with other crew members like we'll look at something like why is this so expensive oh because they can make it that expensive you know there's no other i mean i've got a twenty thousand dollar tripod we've <laughs> created the monster and the beast because we continue to invest in it yeah and you know it's like actors access guilds unions i'm a i'm pro union like don't get me wrong but like you know, guilds aren't finding us work. Just when no. we find our own work, they manage some of the terrible things that can happen. Although, are they? Are they? I've been on really bad sets. But uh, I mean, I, you know, the cinematographers, there's Helena Hutchins that, you know. I'm saying, um, so it's like. I mean, I've, I've been on shoots like that where I've been in situations yeah. like that, you know, and, and that was a union shoot that was supposed yeah. to be. I, you know, I don't want to bad mouth the union or go down no, that rabbit hole. absolutely not. I'm just talking about um, like dues. Like you're not even working and we're paying into. Oh, you still got to pay. You yeah. still got to pay and you're not getting health insurance and you still got to pay and you're not getting any, um, what's the, you're not getting any 401k or retirement, but you're still paying, you know, paying into a system. Going back to my point only being is that like in this industry, I sort of feel like we, the artists have created a beast a financial beast in a way like we just keep you know oh um what else was there um i mean actors access but we are not going to do commercials you have to join another one and pay all this money to put your pictures on it and um. you know la casting and um casting frontier and you have to be on all of them and each of them cost different money but like why can't all the casting directors just use the one site like why can't we, why are we, it's just a constant amount of money that goes out with very little coming back in, in general. And I'll never understand how that happened or, or how that capitalistic market works. I do. 
I understand how. I don't. You went to USC, I went to MSU. <laughs> because for 99% of us, 99% mm -hmm. of us are not the client. We're not the customers. We're the product. Yeah. We are where the money is made. We, I mean, so many businesses are built on, not on getting people, not on being valuable tools that get people to the, wherever they're trying to get to. They're built on just making money off of this huge body of people. And you don't have to make a lot from each one of them. If you did, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get it. But if you could charge 20 bucks here, if you could charge 20 bucks from a hundred thousand people, that's way better than charging a thousand bucks from, from, you know, a much smaller group of people. Right. 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 Anyway. I understand that. But like, again, I'm just going to keep saying this. Why do we have three <laughs> it sites? It is maddening. It's <laughs> maddening. Why do we have three sites that we have to pay to be on as actors? Because that makes no sense. To your point, because we will and because we do. Because I won't. <laughs> and I yeah. don't. I can't. I'm Mike, so irritated. I want to get back to strike questions with you. Uh, because, sure. you know, what, what, so, so you, so you're not investing, but what are you doing? What, how are you using this time? Um, a lot of personal projects. So, uh, like I said, still photography, I shoot, yeah. um, only film. So large format and, um, you know, I do, uh, process all the film in my house. So, you know, experimenting with different processes, um, you know, just doing stuff around the house do you have a and more time room? with the family. Uh, well, kind of, this is a collapsible dark room behind me <gasps> that I make enlargements. I uh, thought you were just, down. I thought you were doing your zoom from some kind of like canoe <laughs> or thing. I don't know what I'm looking at. No, this is, this is, this is a dark room. That's so it, it's like a tent. Um, yeah. So yeah, I do enlargements in there and, and uh, yeah, you know, so stuff like that's been fun. Um, uh, you know, more indie shorts and things yeah. like that. Um, you know, just trying to stay creative and uh, yeah, I mean, again, you know, knock on wood uh, financially, we're all right. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it definitely put a halt into like, like I said, investing into more equipment, investing into other things, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, at least, you know, I know people who, you know, like you guys both are freelance, you know, and that's, that's tough or, you know, single person that's freelance. And, you know, again, you have unemployment, but that can only last so long. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel bad with the strike, but it needs to happen. I mean, sure. I yeah, feel like 100%. the, the yeah. poor, the poor writers, they're sticking their neck out for all of us because if some of these things, you know, aren't fixed in a couple of years, we're all going to be out of work, you know, with Absolutely. the AI, with, you know, just cutting residuals on stuff with, you know, just, I mean, as a DP, I don't get residuals, but it benefits me if the writers and actors and directors do you know what i mean if if the studios just keep cutting 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 you know it's it it's gonna hurt everybody so mm -hmm. yeah yeah but. yeah what's your goal gig like what's your like what do you <laughs> what if everything goes back what is the gig that you're just like yep i've done put a fork in me that's what i've worked towards I, I, I don't know. It changes every day. I, I'm, I'm the kind of person I, I get a little bored, uh, 
pretty easily. So I like jumping to different things. I like doing different things. Um, you know, like I said, I, I love movies, but you know, after I do a movie, I'm like, oh, why did I do a movie? I should just stick with commercials, you know, or I'll do a commercial. I'm like, ah, this is getting boring. I need to do some, some feature work or, you know, I've done plenty of docs. I've traveled the world and I don't know. I just, I enjoy telling a story with a camera and, you know, yeah. for me, it's working with cool people and, you know, that's first and foremost, like, you know, um, so yeah, maybe I want to get into TV a little later, but, um, those are, kids are older. Grueling. yeah, I just, you know, I don't want to, my, my son's 10, my daughter's four. It's a pretty, pretty pivotal time. Um, yeah. you know, I don't want to miss that. So, but other than that, um, yeah, I just, I just, you know, I like to what, work and I like the variety. What do the kids think? Do they like, you know, do they, do they know what you do? Do they have any sense of it? Are they interested? Oh yeah. They think it's so lame. So my son, uh, he came to set when he was two days old and, and, um, he's been to set multiple times and he really could care less. He's man, that kid's got so many cameras. I bought him so many cameras. He doesn't even use and then uh, <laughs> my daughter, she's more interested in being a princess and um, than anything else right now. But yeah, that's yeah. so funny. Our son came out directing us. He was oh, like, yeah. "Really, legs wider, <laughs> push a little harder." <laughs> Boom! He was out, and now he directs all the time. All of our, all of Jason's self tapes for auditions, he directs. He it's not a self camera. tape; it's a jack tape. It's a jack. Tape. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome, Jack. Jack records, he directs, he cuts, he calls it. He's like, that's not good. He does sound. He's been making movies since he was maybe two or three. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I just introduced him we to We don't buy him screen. cameras. We're like, here's an old iPad, first generation. It records yeah. video and like, he makes movies on it. That That's awesome. My son, it's he'll just take everything apart. He wants to be an engineer. That's so awesome. So I give him okay. something like a camera and he takes it apart. I'm like, oh, great. That's broken now. But I hey, whatever. <laughs> I love that. So. That's well, amazing. That, maybe he'll put something back together. That's right. Maybe. Maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You have a $4,000 DP job or the same number of hours and you can make $6,000 doing something complete like one of your old side hustles would you like and it's, it's going to be a terrible db would you rather do a terrible dp job for less money or something completely different for more money than you need you're going to work the same probably the dp job you would do the dp job for the, the bad i mean it's still it, it's not i didn't have the choice back then sure, um, okay but but you know work eh, it all worked out the way it was supposed to, but it's not like I could like quickly, like, I don't know, go do something else. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the thing too. It's like, I've wanted to do this for so long and I've worked so hard for it. And it just, you know, even the worst day on set is still fun. You know, it still gives me joy. You still get to be creative, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys feel the same way, you know, if it's in you, that creativity that you, you need to do that, you know, I mean, you can't do anything else. I will take a low paying garbage acting job over a high paying IT job any day of the week. I was just going to say, exactly. well, you finally get to the point, I think, where even if you needed the money um, for a side hustle, like, it's just a no. It's a hard no. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait this out. Like, you know, like, 
I'm going to do the thing I like for less money and not worry about this other thing that's been offered to me. And a lot of people have this attitude of like, how could you not take this job when you're desperate for money or you need an income? And it's like, you know, because I'd rather not be unhappy. So I'm just going to wait for a job that pays me enough to get by that I love doing, you know, because that is what it's about. Like, I don't want to be miserable. It's you know, very true. Sign up for misery. So I don't know. I don't know. I think that defines us against other career people is that, you know, we will live in smaller homes and, you know, drive older cars or keep our cars for a long time versus it has to be the bigger house. It has to be the better lawn. It has to be the Tesla. It has to be this, you know, those things aren't bringing us the gratification that our art does, our craft does, right? Like, it's just, we're just not happy unless we're doing the thing we love to do. And so, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like, no, it's, like it's a precious true. Gift. Material. Yeah. Materialism, material stuff doesn't really bring you joy. Like, you know, like doing the thing that you're meant to do, like, and you know, family. It. We've talked about a lot of your jobs. We never really circled back to auto trader and got into it. Was that, that was oh, also auto trader, right? That was also Georgia. That was before Amanda and I got married, but we were dating. Um, that really, it wasn't that interesting of a job. It was just, it was just dumb. Like you just drive around and take pictures of crummy cars with Polaroids. And listen, I don't know. It was just the world watched. <laughs> you asked me what terrible jobs I had. Well, yeah. the world watched making a murderer. That job was pivotal to that murder. <laughs> and yes. now. I can never, I don't even know if auto So you're saying I lost a good way. opportunity there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would love to have seen you be interviewed by the uh, documentarians on your experience. I mean, the fact that you went into that old man's house, like the fact that you would go into people's houses. Oh, I mean, I didn't think about that, but it's true. I mean, you know, I showed up, I don't even think I had a shirt. I just said I was from Auto Trader. Like, oh my all these God. people let me in their house, you know, and like, yeah, both sides of it. They could have hacked me up into pieces or I could have hacked them up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't also, even call Auto Trader. <laughs> also, I mean, Auto Trader, I, I understand that this girl got murdered, maybe on that job, but um, allegedly. But, but it's, it's autos. You're, I don't see what the reason to go inside a person's home. You know the car is not in there. He went into that person's house and out a back door. The car's not you know, in there, bro. Walk around. But, but you know what? Like, thinking back, I think I went into just about everybody's house. Like, that's the thing. You knock on their door and they yeah. open up. I'm from Auto Trader. Take a pic. Oh, okay. Come in. Let me go get my keys or whatever. You know, I'm trying. I mean, yeah. Every once in a while, the person wouldn't be there and you just take the picture and the car's like was in the driveway. But pretty much if they answered the door, they'd invite you in, say, hey, would you like a glass of water or something? I guess there you go. Yeah. That's how you. You were you were in it for the H2O. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> we don't live in that world anymore. Probably shouldn't have no. lived in that world then. But I'm just exactly. Saying. Yeah. How do people know? take? I wonder if people take their own pictures now and like sent submit. Oh, I'm sure. On, because again, this was know? this was before. I mean, there were digital cameras, but they were really expensive. I mean, like I said, they gave us Polaroids. You know, yeah. like yeah. I mean, I had a totally. cell phone, but I don't even know if it had a camera on it. Like, yeah, not then. Now, my first phone that had a camera was my third phone. 
So that we're, we're talking about mid like 2005 around that was when the phone yeah. the camera got on the phone. And then and that was even a garbage like a camera. Yeah, a garbage camera, exactly. And even uh, projectionists, like there aren't really projectionists anymore. They're all digital, right? Oh, so like back right. then, I mean, I you know, that. there had to yeah. be somebody loading the film up. So mm-hmm. back then, 15 years back. ago, back, back then. Back in my I mean, day. It's crazy. Walk that uphill we, both ways. Mm-hmm. Our technology is so fast now that it's it's crazy to me. Like it's it's crazy to me. Yeah. Um, well, this episode took a lot of turns that interest me deeply. Yeah, got real weird, huh? Yeah, it got real weird. <laughs> I think this is the first and only time that you're going to have a DP on your show. <laughs> no, that's not true at all. Um, we're so honored to have you on the show, actually. I mean, cinematographers, DPs, the title. I mean, you are what actors and writers rely on to make their stories and make them beautiful. Like you, you know, it's such between the DP and the editors, it's like, I, I don't know. I just feel like that's the that's you know the foundation of a of a. Anyway, this is so great. It's so nice to meet you, and we're so excited for this episode. And thank you for rearranging your schedule because I got sick and was on Musinex. No worries. I'm, yeah. Thank you. It was it, I'm I'm honored to be invited. Thank you. She showed on Monday, made love on Tuesday. On Wednesday, she was there. You come.